Yo, I'm Will. Welcome. I call this little experiment anything is everything. This has got to be called something. The intention here is to share interesting, courageous, enlightening, vulnerable, strange, silly conversations to uh, maybe hopefully inspire something in you. All right, cool. Bye. I think that's a perfect segue. So thanks. I appreciate you telling me so much about your goldfish, and I'm really sorry that they're feeling that way. But they'll make it, or they won't, and that's fine. Tony Nagy! We interrupt this broadcast for a post-production edit. Despite very popular belief, it is not pronounced Tony Nagy, and Tony did not decide to correct me here, so... I say it a few more times, but it is actually pronounced Tony Naj. Thank you. Tony Naj. We now invite you back to this broadcast. Thanks for being here. Yay, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you're amazing. You're, uh, yeah, you're inspiring a lot of people in really cool ways, I see. What's up with that? <laughs> What's up with that? Um, it's interesting to think of oneself as being inspiring. Like, I'm so inspirational. <laughs> but I, it's really kind that you say that. I'm so grateful for those words. And it is always, you know, I was thinking about this last night. I was sitting under the stars because I live in a very rural area. So I have a lot of access to stars, which is cool. And I was thinking about social media and I was like, gosh, I have um, had a really great experience with so many new friends through that medium and through that platform. And even though there is this shadow side that I think that we all are hyper aware of and are constantly like deep throating the information about how toxic social media can be, it also has this other dimension that for me has been deeply rewarding and kind and supportive and meaningful. And I actually am super grateful for social media and all that it's provided and given to me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally with you. Anything is a technology and it just depends how we use it. Right. Where are you? How rural are we talking? I live in uh, southern New Hampshire, and so I'm okay. actually next to a lake and a mountain. It's a vortex region. I'm on one of the Earth's ley lines. Um, oh, no. Do you know what a ley line is? Kind of. From what I understand, it's the Earth's chakra centers. So there's these all these different you know, po- pockets of the planet that are like the, the Earth's chakras, and where I am happens to be one of those ley lines. Wow. Judging by... Uh some of your content, you might be on the sacral chakra. Ha, that's so funny, right? Right in the pelvis. <laughs> right in the pelvis. <laughs> right, that pelvis pump, yeah. So maybe you're right. It's funny to think of like the body parts of the earth. Yeah. Um, maybe it's all kind of sacral heart vibe, <laughs> but also, you know, yeah, I guess maybe they all embody it all. I, I could look into it more. I wish I had more information, but I'm definitely, let's just say I'm in the pelvis of the earth right now. That makes sense to me. It makes sense that the earth would have the exact same breakdown of chakras that we would. So we'll just, we'll go with that. Yeah, like the biomimicry of like, we are all just like fractals repeating yeah. our own 
energies over and over again in an infinite loop. It's the weirdest thing, fractals. I'm like super obsessed with them. Yeah, fractals are cool. Yeah, sometimes I, I feel like um, I have conversations where people speak in fractals, <laughs> where they're oh. just like kind of like folding in and in themselves over and over and over again. I'm like, wait, are we going anywhere? Or are we just like sure. a black hole, <laughs> like a, um, falling into itself? Either way is fine. I I think. Yeah, I totally. I, I I like to fractal it out with people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those experiences happen for me the most at like at festivals where it's just like like I had one recently at Base Coast. I met this dude and we just got into this like this like constant folding of like sarcastic like angst that was just like upping each other and mm. upping each other, and it just like kept going. And it kept going so much that I was like getting really tired of it, but I like I didn't have anything else to do, so I just stayed with stayed it. with him. <laughs> that sounds kind of fun, like a sparring or a bantering. Yeah, it was great, and it was one of those situations where like you have so many similarities with the dude. Well, it was mm. a dude in this case. His name's Tyler Wall, I think. I'm gonna have him on here sometime. But anyway, it's neither here nor there. And what else is neither here nor there is. Um, how you came to be what you're doing now. So it's like through the lens of comedy, um, I see a lot of like social commentary as well. And I see it in like this really, this way that is presented less, less these days than maybe it was in the past. So I was thinking earlier about like the fool archetype and how like way, way, way back in, in all of our, cultures there was always this like fool this courtesan this like court jester or whatever and this person would be like feigning imbecility just feigning stupidness you know yeah but these but these things come out in like in ways that like poke poke fun in like a jokey way at like really serious things and I see you being really good at that and like it's I'm just curious if that's like a an intentional thing you have to like try to do or it seems to come more naturally to you? Um, I think it's a combination of the two. I do have an objective with everything that I make and everything that I say. And rarely that objective is just purely absurdity. Although sometimes I might play in those waters, but I think most of what I do is motivated by something a little different. And then I just kind of try to season everything I do with this element of absurdity. And again, not taking the self too seriously. The fool uh, archetype is definitely a card, a tarot card I relate to. Also the magician, you know, uh, how to create the alchemy of conversation. I do think that the thing that comedy does or the outlet that comedy can provide for people is the spark of conversation and a spark of thought. I don't think that we can rely purely on comedy in terms of how we progress as a society. You know, mm. it's like you can't just get your news from that source exclusively, which may be on some levels easier to digest. But like sometimes I do think we need like the diarrhea cramps of the hard truth of ex existence in society. And so, yeah. but when you just do news or information through the lens of like being very um, A, serious and B, somewhat didactic, then I think that it leaves people in a state where they're not necessarily 
inspired into action. And so that's where I think the role of comedy can play in the greater, you know, societal paradigm shift that I think many of us are craving and aching for is how to kind of be a seductress or a catalyst to these conversations that need to be happening. And for me personally, the conversation is less about the micro details and more about a macro understanding of how we as human beings really need to look at each other much more with compassion, understanding, and benevolence, and also most importantly, humility. I think that's something that I keep seeing as like missing so much. I'm a parent. And Mm. so when I parent my child and she does something or her friends do something that's like, you know, maybe like less than desirable behavior, I'm never like, or I try not to be like, oh, that undesirable behavior, Ugh, what a dick you are. I, I say, wow, that's undesirable. I've done this before. Let me tell you some stories about things that I've done that like I fully regret. And just so you know, you're not alone in this undesirable behavior. And like you can work on it. And guess what? I can work on it too. And the only reason why I'm noticing this behavior is because I've done it. And so that's like – That's what I see like missing on a lot of these like cultural conversations, you know, with the whole, um, I mean, I know it's like old news now, but I remember the Johnny Depp, uh, Amber Heard thing. I mean, that feels like a lifetime ago, but I was so, Mm -hmm. it's like, everybody's been both of these people in a relationship. Like how is, that's what we should be looking at. Like, wow, I've really done this, you know, and I'm so much more interested in people doing like radical self-reflection which can lead to radical self-acceptance. Mm. And that is like the, the vibe I want to bring to uh-huh. places and spaces. Wow. Yeah, you're, you're really doing it. Um, like, so kudos to that. Because like, especially with, well, for me, the thing that, uh, that I noticed from you, and it was in like one of the first times I ever saw one of your stories or whatever, and it was like one of these things where you're like talking with your hands and your body and being so like expressive, but also, also there's this like societal thing of like prim and proper. And it's like definitely conditioned in me to like, I, I've done a lot of work and like I can dance comfortably in public spaces and things now, but like that was definitely not 20 year old me. And so there's still that like internal thing of like, ooh, this is what this woman is doing is awkward and weird. But but it's like that, what you just said about the radical self-expression leads to radical self-acceptance. And so like, how is, where is the entry for people? Because, you know, people want to accept themselves, but it's like, you know, their nose is too big or like blah, 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 blah. And it was funny, actually, you posted a thing the other day that was like, it was like this long talk about how, you never noticed your face spots or something like that. And then yeah. like you thought it was cute. And then somebody else told you about it. And then like, I was like, where the hell is this story going? And then you're like, to sum it up, now I'm insecure about my face. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay. Okay, sweet. Yeah. I mean, and, and 
I keep noticing it now in other people. So just to yeah. reiterate, like I <laughs> I always thought like I had these like freckles that were cute. Like I literally, I was like, these are cute. I never had a problem with them. And then yeah. someone was like, you have a skin discoloration. And I was like, I think we have a misunderstanding. I was like, I think these are cute. And she was like, no, they're not. They're a problem <laughs> with your skin. And I was like, what? <laughs> And then, like, someone on the internet said something, and they were like, you're yeah. like, oh, you can laser that off. And I'm just like, wait, what? Like, what is <laughs> happening? And then I, and I noticed, and, like, that was when I started noticing it. And as soon as I started noticing it on other people, on myself, I started noticing it on other women. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, my God. Like, now I'm just noticing women's, like, um, skin, like, in a way that I never had before. And it was, like, really, it was really making me laugh and also, like, it was fucked up because I'm like, that's fucking sucks. Like I never fucking saw this as a problem. And now I was told it was a problem. Yeah. yeah. I still teeter on the edge of whether or not I'm like convinced it's a problem. I still kind of <laughs> think it's cute, you know, but I'm like, oh, it's youthful. Yeah. But I, you know, and I think the thing that you talk about with like awkwardness and like my movement, you know, I am a dancer. I teach dance. I'm a trained dancer, but am I the best dancer on planet Earth? Of course not. I'm not even close. I mean, you watch on the internet, there's six-year-olds that are better than I will ever be in my entire life at dance. And so, you know, there's something about not trying to be beautiful or not trying to be perfect or not trying to be the best. I do think there's something really profound about accepting one's own mediocrity that's really freeing. Um because like from a, a Buddhist perspective, we're, you're always trying to, you know, abandon the attachment to the ego, right? And the attachment of identity and self. And part of that, I mean, this is kind of even an AA philosophy too, but is kind of just admitting that you're completely average. Hmm. And I think a lot of, especially like my generation, you know, like maybe this wasn't such a thing with like the boomers and the ones above us, but there is this like, you're special, you're special. And like, we also grew up with like reality TV and like yeah. the magazines and fame and, and it like, I think, and like also like the deconstruction and the postmodernism of, of fame. And then you have the social media where like anyone can be famous. And so there is this kind of like, like this drumbeat of pressure that puts people in this like headspace where they want to be and feel special. And I think like when I felt that, that was when I was my most miserable. And then just accepting yeah. my like complete and total mediocrity and like I'm like, oh yeah, fuck. I'm like everybody else. Every feeling I feel, everyone feels. Nothing about me is special. I'm just a person, you know? Like and everybody goes through everything that I've been through just to like varying degrees of complexity. Like the spectrum of mental illness, the spectrum of beauty, the spectrum of everything. It's like we all experience it just with volumes turned up on different like pieces of equipment. Uh -huh. And then once I really just accepted that like I am totally average and mediocre and unremarkable, I was like, oh, that's fucking, <laughs> that's fine. You know, and I can just, the only thing I can do that's like interesting is be my own personality. That's the only thing I can fucking do. Unless you're like Tom Brady or like Tiger Woods or like someone who's like the best of the best. I don't know. That kind of pressure is different. Like there are people who are the best of the best and those are – I don't know. It's a different – that's not most of us. That's not – the billions of us are not the best. Yeah, I hear you.
if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. There's just, there's this big piece of me that like has such a hard time with the like acceptance of mediocrity and like, and like unremarkability of like average people or like the, 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 the middle of the bell curve or whatever. Cause like for me, what has been like the most beautiful shift is changing my definition of perfection Mm. in where where it is before is like this like perfect sphere that is like dentless and like shiny and like whatever but now it's like well that that is that form is actually kind of impossible because as soon as there's like any impact to it it's imperfect or whatever there's no way to like replicate that like perfection or like within a person like we think like flawless like like egoless or whatever whatever way you want to quantize it but like the truth for me of perfection is that absolutely everything is always perfect you know and so in that it's like rather than calling something like mediocre and like unremarkable for me it's like perfectly remarkable even Mm. if it's like yeah even if it's like that kid just like shit their pants on the mall floor you know just like that's fucking awesome (laughs) what a story you just gave us I mean, first of all, we can't just like skip over your usage of the word quantize. I was like, hello, are you a musician? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, (laughs) no one just like throws out the word quantize willy-nilly. And second of all, I guess like, so to me, you know, like the kid shitting his pants, I have so many funny kid shit stories now that I think about it. Like random seeing random people shit their pants. But to me, everything (laughs) is about story. And so it doesn't even matter what happens. It, every It's like you and your imperfections or you and your um, problems or you and your inadequacies. Those are all, those are all really interesting stories. Like the most boring yeah. story I could possibly tell you is like, I had a test and I studied really hard and I got an A plus, you know, like cool fucking story. But like I had a test and then I had a total mental breakdown and I snorted like 10 pills of Adderall and then I started bleeding out of my eyes and I had to go to the hospital and then I had to like look at myself and my like deep need for acceptance from my dad. And then I woke up in the morning and I realized like, oh my gosh, I never even did my studying for the test. And then I went to school. I mean, like that's a fucking story. And right. so to me, it's like stories and what we share about all like the fucked up neurosis of existence. I don't know. That's where we connect. I don't know anyone that connects of like, I tried something really hard. I did it perfectly well. And now I'm really good at it. You're right. like, oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's social media in a in a nutshell. Or like it, it was our beginnings of social media. I remember like maybe four or five years ago maybe more there what were those videos called on youtube that was just like everything was like perfect and it was just like people oh people are awesome those videos or whatever i think i think i I missed it because i was like what so boring but you're right there is this like aspirational um posturing that people do of their perfect lives and i guess i forget that exists because i'm always like skip skip i'm not interested but even like the aspirational stuff that happens I do think that like it's almost like um professional wrestling where you know it's completely inauthentic yet but there's a lot of skill in the professional wrestling and like what you're maybe connecting to is the skill behind the facade 
rather than the facade. It's not like anyone's, you know, really like, oh, yes, this is exactly how life is. But the facade of it is is maybe like soothing or or interesting or compelling, much like, yeah, I mean, I think we like facades in a certain sense because then it gives you this sense of control. I mean, people who are controlling like to see people simulating control of their lives, I think. And I guess mm. I'm not a very controlling person, so maybe that's why that doesn't interest me. Sure. Yeah. I'm like, let's get out yeah, of control, yeah. man. <laughs> who cares? Let's try it. Yeah. I agree. And even the like all the all the dopest, maybe not all, that's pretty uh aggressive, but a lot of the best inventions have been like just something out of control and something accidental, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's it's like the concept of a happy accident. And that happens to me a lot with editing or filmmaking. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'll mm-hmm. fuck up, you know? And ra- this is an, you know, an interesting thing to think about too in any sort of like quote unquote deficiency is your actual superpower if you lean into it. So if I made this like cataclysmic mistake, if I try to cover it up and sweep it under the rug, I don't actually make an interesting product. But if I'm like, okay, I really fucked up. How am I going to like actually highlight these mistakes and make the mistakes the thing that is the content? Then that's then it becomes something more creative and more interesting. Like I remember yeah. I did this video with my daughter. I wanted to do a video about Mother's Day. And um, I only had like an hour to film this video for whatever reason because it was Friday we had plans and then Sunday was Mother Days and I, I had to release the video on Saturday because I was like, no, it has to be out before Mother's Day. Yeah. So we had one hour to do it and I wanted her to do an interpretive dance with me about mothering. And like right before the dance, like she just got into the worst fucking mood because her and her dad had like this little tiff, right? And then I was like watching the tiff go down and I was like, no, you know, like, no, I have to film with this fucking kid, you know, like, so the tiff went down and I was like, fuck. And then we go into the space of film and she's just fucking pissed. Right. And I'm like, oh no, but I didn't want to like talk her out of her feelings because that didn't, that didn't feel like good parenting. You definitely want to like give kids the space to like process. But at the same time, I'm like, bitch, we only have an hour to film this video. Like, I kind of like need you to perk up. But she just was like, no, she was so mad. And so I was like trying to do her hair and she's just fucking pissed. And so then I realized, I was like, okay, if I can just get her rage in front of the camera, then this is going to be the video. And I knew she didn't know this, but I was like, this is the video because her authentic fucking anger right now is a huge part of like what it is to be a parent is like how you negotiate the emotional volatility of a kid and how do you give them space to feel but also not be a punching bag of their feelings. And as a mother, there is always this kind of like dance and choreography you do about being blamed for things that like aren't, may not have anything to do with you, but you are the target because they feel most comfortable around you. And that was what I was like planning on talking about in the video. And it was like literally happening in real life, you know, like what I was talking about was happening. And so we filmed this video. And so, so often she was just like, no, eh, mm," like pissed at me, pissed at everyone, pissed at the world. And then afterwards I like edited all her being pissed. It's like 70% of the video is her being mad. 
And we laughed so hard. Like when she watched it, she was like, literally, she was like crying. She was laughing so hard. She was like, oh my gosh, I actually think this video is so much better because I was in such a bad mood. Uh-huh. And it was just like, it was really funny and it was a good, you know, it was like, it's honestly like, I think the most interesting piece of art I've ever created because it was so authentic because yeah. she didn't know I was going to put any of that in the video. So I guess long story even longer is that, you know, it's like when something isn't working out in the creative process, it's really kind of, I think if you lean into it and you just are like, this is what's happening rather than fighting it, you don't know this like whole other thing can really open up that you never could have expected. And then you you're creating something that is like alive. Like that video was alive. It had like a life to it that I could, I could never replicate it again. Cause my daughter will never fucking trust me again with a camera (laughs) around. She's like, Oh, you're going to fucking use that. (laughs) But it, it just was like, it really reminded me about how spontaneity and like, and art is not contained and it's not controlled and it's not predictable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's massive. That's like, that's like a very high level skill I kind of see as well in, in any aspect of life is taking, you know, taking the situation that goes way awry and just going with it, you know, rather than like resisting and trying to like, force the ship back to where we thought it was supposed to go. Yeah. And I think you had said something about acceptance. Like how does one truly accept themselves? It's by rec. I think it's really like reminding yourself that your flaws are super interesting Yeah, and they're super relatable and they're actually compelling. And everything that's your flaw is your greatest superpower. You know, if someone is like a, is a volatile, angry person, you know, and they hate themselves because they're like, I'm volatile, I'm angry, and I get mad and I snap at people. That person is also probably like really passionate and really energetic in other ways. And it's just like all of these shadow sides come with light and all of our lightness come with the shadow. And when we really kind of just sit in the fact that nothing is one thing, everything has a duality. And so – you just have to just like, you cannot, if someone's really jealous and you're just like, ah, you fucking jealous piece of shit. But then they're like, oh, but they're really passionate and they're really loving and they're really loyal. And it's like, okay, like I would rather you weren't as jealous and we could like focus on this other stuff more, but your jealousy is part of your passion and your loyalty and your commitment. Like they come together and all we can do as people is like spend our existence trying to like shine the flashlight of our awareness to what is more socially um, beneficial, you know, because we do live in like a social setting and we don't want to just like fart our emotions on people all the time and, you Mm. know, be irresponsible with the energy we're putting out there. But in order to do that, we have to like love the parts of ourselves fully that are problematic. Yeah, hundred percent. And like for, so, I mean, I guess I just want to hear from you and how, how do you think you came, you came to those, those places? And I know like self-acceptance, you don't just like understand it once about one thing in your life and then it applies to like every part of us. But like, let's say, let's say your, uh, your ability to be silly in front of people and authentic without like really caring what they, what they think how did how did you get to that to that place or were you just like born not 
No, definitely not. Um, I was, I think again, like, like anything, all of these things are daily practices, you know? And if we think that like, it's like enlightenment doesn't mean, uh, like you're enlightened. And then for the rest of your life, you're just sitting around in this enlightened state. It's actually just like a blip. And it's like a moment and you're like, oh, I've experienced enlightenment. I mean, I, I personally have not, but from what I understand, it's not a constant state. And I I think that's the same thing with anything. It's like, these are not Uh constant states that anyone is in, but it's a daily practice that you revisit over and over and over again. So it's like, if, you know, I have a daily meditation practice, I am not meditating every time I sit to meditate. I, but I sit to meditate every day. A lot of times I'm just like thinking or hating myself or regretting something or whatever the fuck is going on in my mind. But I sit every day to meditate. Uh I show up for the practice. And I think we show up for practices of all of these things. And it's not always going to materialize. But for me personally, um, I was very like self-conscious, I think, for a long time um, because I was self-aware. So there is this like, when you're self-aware, you're also self-conscious, right? Mm. Those two things come together. And so, and I never even saw myself as like a creative person for a really long time. That was not something I was told. It was not something that was like cultivated in me. It was not something that anyone was noticing or encouraging or whatever. I was like more of a problem. It's, you know, like you should stop talking or like stop wiggling in your chair or like you have ADHD or all these things that I was told that was not like, oh, like you got some, you have some interesting energy. We need to rechannel. It was all just like, shut the fuck up and sit down and stop. So I think for me personally, I had to realize at a young age because I did not want to uh, go on drugs because that's what I was being recommended by the school and like the um, whatever the psychologist they sent me to to talk about my ADHD. I was like very not into the idea of medication. I was like nine or 10 because I was like, concerned. I was like, who would I be if I took medication and what would happen if I wanted to go off it and what would it do to my personality? And I, I was having like an existential crisis of the thought of being dependent on something, which is like ironic. Cause I've done a thousand drugs afterwards. I'm like, then like whatever. Uh-huh. I mean. uh-huh. But at that time at nine, I was like, that seems fucked up. So the answer that like the, uh, they were like, well, you need to move a lot more. You need to move your body. And so, like, someone gave nice. me roller skates. My grandmother gave me roller skates, and I roller skated for, like, seven hours a day, you know? So I just started this, like, practice of trying to tire myself out physically mm. in order to be more manageable at school and to, like, sit more. And so, like, I would just, like, had to get out my frenetic energy. But I never really had an outlet for a very long time. And when I found – um filmmaking, I was always behind the camera because I was too self-conscious to be in front of the camera. And so I would film my friends, I would film my actor friends. And, you know, I think the only reason why I ever put myself in front of the camera was I got sick of waiting around for people and their stupid Uh, schedules. Yeah. Because I'm a workaholic and I started just like being like, "Ah," you know, I wanted to do something. I wanted to create something. And my friends would be like, well, <laughs> I'm busy here. Like, I have something to do. Or just working with people and they're – and I have like an insane work ethic or uh, it's um, it's a 
problem and it's an asset, right? You know, it's yeah. a problem too, a hundred percent. But it was my impatience and I think my obsession with work that eventually brought me in front of the camera. And that was really hard to do for a long time. And I think it was honestly um, the meditation retreats that I've done that kind of kept pushing me out of caring what anyone thought, including myself, because the whole point of a meditation, well, not, I'm not going to say the whole point, but part of the experience of a meditation retreat is really coming to terms with the fact that your thoughts are an illusion and your identity is an illusion. And so for me personally, really sitting with that and accepting that, it's like, it really, I really kind of came to the conclusion that it does not matter what I think. Because everything I think is an illusion. Everything that is coming to my brain in the form of language. Not like the the oneness, eternal knowledge that we have beyond thought, right? It's like when you sit beyond thought and you're like connecting to something that's so much deeper and compelling and complex and anything we can use with words, right? Words are the the ego. And so knowledge, like true knowledge is beyond words. And so I realized that everything that's I, 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 word, 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 all this chatter, chatter, chatter in my head, it's basically garbage. And I was like, okay, nothing I think matters. That means that nothing anyone thinks matters and I am fucking free. Mm. And so that was kind of the catalyst I think and I every time I go back to like <laughs> you know which of course I'll feel feelings I go back to like but it doesn't it doesn't matter what I think doesn't matter what you think doesn't matter nothing it doesn't matter wisdom is yeah. so much beyond th- thoughts wisdom is not thoughts that's what I keep going back to yeah yeah so like I think you're silly it's like okay I, even I think you're great is like okay none of it matters but what your heart feels is what's where it's at yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. Thanks for that. Yeah, I'm super I'm super with that. I don't feel the need to say say anything about that. <laughs> You're like that's enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I guess just like the takeaway is that like yeah, you're going to, and like for other people, like, yeah, you're going to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. You're going to see other people doing things that you want to do. And it seems like, you know, they're doing it like effortlessly, but like they were once exactly where you are in the discomfort and they're probably in the discomfort now. Again, Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I, did a, I got to do a, like an MC for a passion show and I was like fucking shaking in like the first couple times I had to like go out there. And then like after a while, I just made such an idiot of myself that I was like, yeah, okay, this is mostly fine. Yeah. But yeah, fine. so for you, it was like, it was like you got in front of the camera out of necessity and it was uncomfortable, but you're like, shit, like I, th- this is just what I have to do. And then it was mixed with like self-awareness practices that got you to the point of like, got you to a realization where it was like, oh, okay, actually these thoughts don't matter. These situations yeah, matter. none of it really matters at all. It it matters to me, but it also doesn't matter. Yeah. And 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 you know, and I think the thing is is that you know, when you're called to do something, it's like a you know, it's like a an itch you can't scratch, you know. There I, I there is this like calling for and it I think it's about meaning actually. You know, it's like most of our lives we are looking for meaning and a spiritual meaning, spiritual connection, 
but that spiritual longing it gets translated into many different things for many different people. Like for some, it's about relationship and partnership. For others, it's about their career, you know, for others, it's about their art and their artistic pursuit. And so there is this like longing that I think every human has and the target of your longing can shift and vary, but the longing I think is universal. And so for me personally, you know, like playing in the waters of my longing and my longing is around like communication and storytelling and connecting and like creating something that um that I can do you know there is something like like satisfying about like the current paradigm where I can I can think of something I can film something I can edit something and then I can broadcast something you know, like there's something really interesting about that. I also am a writer and like when I used to write for different publications, I would write something and then I would, that, that writing would get broadcasted and then you would get this like immediate feedback loop. And I think for me personally, there was like, there's that addictive longing around the creation and the distribution of my thoughts, you know, mm. which has its own arrogance. Like, why should anybody hear my thoughts? I, you know, like probably because my parents didn't pay attention to me. You know, it's like, I think every kind of um, person that has that compulsion of like, please listen, is coming from like the wound of childhood in a certain sense. Yeah, I think that's where like 90% of our actions come from. Yeah, like 98 maybe. Yeah, probably, probably all of it. I know. I always get like, as a parent, I'm always like, I hope you Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm like, I'm really trying, but like, Fuck, you know, like no matter how hard I try, I'm like always going to be part of the problem in some way. I don't know. I'm uh, really trying not to be, and like I'm like let's be friends forever. So I don't know. Pray for me. I hear you. It's the it's something I lovingly refer to as the the that's so raven um, syndrome symptom. Oh, so, huh. Uh, you know that? Yeah, it's a sh- it was a show. The chick was a. Uh, was like a medium or she could like see the future and then she would like see this thing happen that she like definitely didn't want to happen. And then she would spend the whole show trying to make it not happen. But all of her actions made that thing happen. Oh, that's really smart. Yeah. Disney Channel, baby. Yeah. Wow. That's really I never I had no idea that's what that show was about. It was a little like I think I was a little too old old for it when it was coming out. (laughs) Yeah. That's really interesting. I love that. Wow. That's some deep ass shit. Yeah, it makes sense, right? Yeah. But like that's that's a lot of like what our life is and that's like the clinging to the idea and the clinging to the control, which, you know, I was talking to somebody else the other day and it just seems like the tighter we hang on to something, the more strangled it gets, the less <sighs> circulation it has. And then like if you're still able to be holding on to it by the end, you like open your hands and it's just like <laughs> – I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's like this, dust. This, I love that. The, yeah. the tighter you hold on to something, the more you're strangling it. I really resonate with that. That's a great metaphor. Yeah. I'm going to take that into my soul. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I really it's like always- that because I definitely am like, oh, <laughs> I do that for sure. Yeah, it's funny. And then like <clears throat> the, e- the easier and the quicker that we can like let go of things, the more freedom we have to actually like not control, but like keep keep some bumpers 
mm-hmm. going down the down the lane, you know. But uh, like, if you're just like holding on to it, so t- anyway, I don't want to be. No, that it's so enough. true. I mean, it's almost like how you started the podcast before you started recording is like you set this beautiful intention that like whoever's meant to hear this will hear this, and like I wish I did that more with like each I tr- I mean I've seen um people suggest that before but you doing it I was like right I really should do that before I release every video cuz there is this like there's some videos that I work on so hard and it's interesting like the videos that I work the hardest on often do not do the best especially <laughs> yeah. like um music videos take so much work I mean I did this one music yeah. video it was for another person I wasn't even in it uh but i spent like 90 hours on it you know what i mean like as an editor and i was just like so attached to it and um and then sometimes i'll like literally do something in like five seconds i'll like fart in my hand and then and then like it'll be like three million views and i'm like what the fuck you know like the things i work the hardest on like never really do as well as the things i that seem a little bit more innocuous so yeah 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 well, I don't really, I can't say for sure what the whole point of this existence is, but I've seen that it's not always about the end result. It's about the lessons and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, the damn journey. So, yeah. <laughs> that whole, that whole journey thing. The yeah. Alchemist, Paul Colo, get out of here. Um, I have, I have a, I have a question about your, uh, your growing up because when you, you know, when, when people were saying, okay, Tony your energy is a problem. You're yes. way too creative and you're not meant to sit in a, in a chair for eight hours a day. When this happened and they said the only answer was medication, you had the self-awareness to be like, uh, actually, that feels weird. I'm curious where this like young self-awareness came from. Was it like inspired by a family member or stories you read or... I, I mean, I think for me personally, um, my parents, uh, were both like European. So they kind of had like a different relationship to parenting than a lot of other Americans, um, which was like a bit hands off, you know, even, even like the time period I was in was more hands off also. Um, but and then I we moved into a my dad's a professor at Harvard and so we moved into a Harvard dormitory when I was in 6 and um that provided this like container of safety because I was living in a dorm so I was it was a kind of a unique experience and so my parents always knew I was like somewhere alive because I was within this like <laughs> Harvard compound but there yeah. was and there was a cafeteria so, like, if I was essentially hungry, I could, like, go to the cafeteria. So then they were like, oh, she's fine. And so I think that that meant I had a, an extreme amount of independence. My dad was working a lot. My mom was also working a lot. So – and my brother definitely was kind of, like, in his own world at that point. So I was just alone a lot because most of my friends, they had obligations or they had to go home or they had to um, – you know, I don't know, be with their siblings. Like most of my friends couldn't play after school. And I was just like, Uh, ah, you know, like with my roller skates and my animals. And so I was lonely. And I think that that created a lot of time in my own head to just kind of uh, contemplate bigger questions because I wasn't like around people. And then also there was this uh, energy of Harvard 
that I was in. And so a lot of the uh, Harvard kids, you know, they would be interested in hanging out with me because I was like a break from their um, pressure of like being at Harvard. And like, I think it's really stressful, I think, you know, to be in that institution. So sometimes like girls would just like invite me to their rooms and like they'd hang out with me or like I would play pool with some of the guys. What I mean, like it was strangely incredibly safe, but I also had this exposure to these kind of tortured, brilliant kids, you know, not as if we were like talking about, I can't even remember what we talked about. I was just like quantumly entangled mm-hmm. in this fabric of like some of like the smartest, you know, students in America or in the world in a certain sense, because Harvard is such like a, a prized institution. So a lot of really brilliant people are there. And I was just energetically connected to that. So I think that that had to have had you know, an impact on my psyche, whether or not it was like anyone, no one was like directly like, let's talk about quantum physics, Tony, you know, like that was like not the vibe, but I just was around this like certain intellectualism that Mm -hmm. I had to have picked up on. So, and then I think that like a lot of times, like I just was not born a child. I, I had a really hard time playing pretending was like really difficult for me. Like I remember I'd like watch my brother pretend all the time and I'd be like, what the fuck is he doing, you know, like, and I would like pretend to pretend, but I was, I was a little too rooted in quote unquote reality, which is so ironic that like, as I got older, I got much more playful and much more into pretending because I, it was something I truly couldn't do. Like even with so many kids, like playing, I was like, what? I was like, okay. I didn't really have friends until the third grade until people kind of like were coming out of pretend zone because I just couldn't like figure it out, um, which is so bonkers. And then my best friend was like me. She was a very physical girl. And so we would just do physical things together, like swimming or running, you know, biking or making things. Like she had that same energy that I did. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I just like wasn't like a normal or whatever. I wasn't like kids that I was being exposed to at their ability to just be children. I was always kind of like not. Yeah. Damn. That's so cool. And unexpected that, uh, that yeah, imagination and play didn't come supernaturally to you. That's <laughs> not at super, all. Super cool. I love that. Cause like there's this, there's this rhetoric out there that like, um, you know, the people we see doing things, they were always naturally good at this. And it's like, yo, that is like so far from the truth. We can like if what I saw in my lens is often through sport. Um, but like the kids that were best at sports and that grew into being, you know, the best athletes. Yeah, they started from a young age, but they just had this like addiction and drive that mm-hmm. was different. Cause like I also I played on I played on those teams that were the best teams around, but I didn't have this like drive that like nothing else mattered. So like I was never gonna like make it as far as like some of my friends did and that kind of thing. There's just that like missing piece. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, natural talent I have often said and kind of remarked to myself, I am truly not naturally talented at anything except at trying and having like a, an absurd ability to bang my head against a wall over and over and over again and keep trying. I think, I mean, I've always kind of attributed it to being a Capricorn 
you know, like kind of just like walking up that hill. So I, you know, I never had this pressure of like, well, I'm so naturally talented at this or the other. I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> no. I've just like kept trying for years and years and years without yeah. like getting too discouraged. I think I'm naturally really good at processing failure. Yeah. That was it. <laughs> that, which honestly might be one of the best qualities anyone can have in my opinion. <clears throat> okay, I have a question. Um, so after Harvard, after the physical and all that kind of stuff, what was your introduction or um, like what, what took you into the world of like spirit, spirituality, energy, archetypes, that kind of stuff? So um, I think like my whole interest in the esoteric, in a certain sense, I, it began, you know, being raised Catholic and feeling very strongly that like I did not believe in the Bible and what mm -hmm. I was being told. And my it's not my dad um brought me to church because his mother was extremely religious, but he was no longer like in that state of belief. But it's not like he sat me down and was like, We're going to church because uh you're too young to lie to your grandmother about it. And if I don't take you, she's gonna fucking be mad at me and I don't like that. You know, like which was what was uh, happening. So uh -huh. like we were very pressured into this like Catholic indoctrination. My grandmother, I who I spent a lot of time with, you know, she was very, very religious. Like she would always say to me, she would like pray for me that I will die soon so I can be with Jesus. You know, and I'd be like, uh, like maybe after the weekend, you know, my parents pick me up. Yeah. Like, can we just like chill? So, but like I had to go to church every single Sunday. And even though I, I never really understood the sermons, but I was still in this place of spiritual worship. And that was the time to kind of contemplate these bigger questions. And so I do think that like church provided this like interesting value because the thing that I couldn't understand about church or get behind was mostly that like they were calling this religion truth and everything else was false. And I just yeah. didn't understand that. I'm like, how? Yeah. No, like either it's all true. Like I think that's kind of like the Baha'i faith of like it's everything is true or like none of it is true. And I was totally down for all of it to be true. But I definitely was like not – I was not connecting to the fact that like this is correct and this is wrong because my dad was yeah. a professor of Greek myth and uh, like mm. ancient Greek studies and classics. And I was like, well, why is that a myth? I don't – I couldn't wrap my head around that. So I think that there was this kind of like deeper spiritual questions I had all through childhood by going to church and like also having this like subcontext of the myths and the Greek myths that like I was interested in to connect me with my dad. So that was that context. And then, um, oh, hold on. I think that's, okay. No, it's my kid, but she went away. Um, and then, so that was always kind of like percolating around. But then my best friend, when I was 20, she died in a really mm. kind of like um, tragic car accident, very unexpected. And when she died, you know, I she was like truly, truly my like, soul sister best friend like we were very very connected like you mm. you couldn't say my name without saying her name kind of relationship mm. and we both had parents that were you know very busy and so the amount of time we were able to spend together was a little like unheard of you know like every every single summer we would just glue each ourselves to each other and not let go until I had to 
go back to school. So when she died, like she kind of became my God source and my connection to the divine because now there was somebody there who I wanted to see. You know, I didn't want to die, but I wanted to see my friend and I wanted to be connected to her and I wanted to maintain our friendship. And so that mourning, that state of mourning and loss and, you know, total emotional desperation, I kept yearning for connection. And so in order to feel connected to her, I had to like develop practice to feel connected to like the divine spirit. Mm -hmm. And that was really what began that part of my journey was this like, like intense love and desire to stay best friends with my friend. Hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. So it's actually like <clears throat> I see a I see a similarity in your in what you've shared about like your venture into like comedy and being behind the camera. You know, it was it was born out of like a like a need and and a necessity to like make the thing happen. Yeah. And then you know you bang your head enough and then it's like, "Oh yeah, sweet, my sister is still alive with me." Yes. You know? I can still feel her and yeah, I, I I really couldn't let go. You know, I I just couldn't. And I think the thing, you know, it's interesting about um, a certain sense of tragedy. You know, I, when you experience that as a young person, I did feel this deep desire to make my life meaningful hmm. for whatever that meant because I, I couldn't make meaning of her death. You know, so yeah. I was like, well, if I can make meaning of my life, that somehow translated into making meaning of, if I could use this moment to make meaning from my life and to, to be the, like to live for the both of us. Like that was kind of the promise I made for her, made to her, like at her grave that day. I was like, I'm going to live for the both of us. And like, you can like come join my body anytime you want. And like, let's just do this, you know, like. I really wanted to keep like to live for us, you know, so that was also something that I think uh, drived a lot of like behavior, both positive and negative um, yeah. in the years to come. There was this like deep desire to really live. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I think I've, I've come to that realization in a in a slightly different way. Um, like for me, I, I see things that like like the people that are just going through this like ridiculously seemingly unnecessary suffering just like right from birth, you know, and there's like absolutely nothing that I can do for these people or whatever. So it, it, it seems, it feels the best for me and it seems the most rational at the same time to like the best, the, the thing that I can do the most for these people is to just live my own life as beautifully as possible. And like, enjoy the pleasures that are like available to me you know so it's not about like since somebody else can have this I'm just gonna like starve myself off from like this pleasure that's in front of me it seems better to me to like enjoy the pleasures that are around you know because they're here because if I was in this other person's position I would be hoping and they're in my position I would be hoping that they're receiving everything that they're receiving does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it totally does. And it's interesting because I think, you know, in our current like awareness, it's difficult not to feel guilty from privilege, you know, just even like mm -hmm. being white in America, like how much privilege that is. Um, 
like it's actually mind-boggling even like you know if you think even just being an American, like the amount of privilege, like there's so much guilt and shame, I think that can come with the concept of privilege when you are aware of like the suffering of others. And I agree with you. It's not as if um, that guilt is going to like somehow circumvent the suffering of others. It's actually not. It's going to leave you in a space where you're adding to a vibration of suffering because you're suffering from guilt. And that is definitely something that – that is a uh, an emotional state I fall into a lot, you know, of like just feeling like an intense guilt and then like self-loathing and then self-flagellating and like – and really the truth is is that to heighten the vibration of existence, it's like we have to – do everything we can to emotionally heighten the vibration. And I think the thing that's so tragic, you know, from a a philosophical and, you know, genuine analysis of the world is how unnecessary so much suffering is, you know, how much unnecessary, it's like the world has so much abundance. The world has so much food. The world has so much natural resources and yet it's hoarded and it's, um, compiled by very few who create scarcity in order to deliver profit to themselves. And so all of this, I think for any sensitive person to witness all this like complete unnecessary suffering is, it's so heartbreaking. And like, so how do you enjoy yourself within the face of that? And it's, I really, you know, it's like when my friend died, I would not let myself feel joy for a really, really long time. And like anytime I like started to have a good time, I would be like, I would stop it, you know? And I'd be like, no. And um, yeah. And I, it was that, what, what was that providing? You know, like it it was something I felt like I needed to do because I felt so guilty for still being alive in a certain sense too. So Yeah, I think you're correct. And that's why the Buddha is always smiling. Like the Buddha isn't smiling because the Buddha is denying suffering. The Buddha is very aware of suffering, but the Buddha is smiling because like that is the energy that should be brought to the planet is joy, you know, in a certain sense. And so it's like, yeah, there is this like way in which if you can be your full joyful self all the time, like that is activism, social activism, energetic activism, emotional activism. But like now I want to cry. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm like, oh God, all this suffering. It's so fucked up. Yeah. I feel so sad. But it yeah. also like we must bring joy. <laughs> I'm a sad clown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear you. They usually are. Yeah. It's a huge, it's a huge topic and we're going to honor your time today. So can't really get into it, but I have like, a lot of feelings on the like the idea that some amount of suffering can be too much suffering because then it's like okay well if there's a god and if there's like a creator then by us a human deciding that there's too much suffering we're putting our intelligence over the intelligence that has created all of it mm-hmm. and we're saying that like you're wrong <laughs> like i know better because this is bad it's just like a funny a funny weird little thing. I don't know. Yeah, it's and kind of it, it and it it's difficult cuz also there is this um you know, harsh kind of reality. It's like we torture each other. <laughs> like it's not as if like the quote-unquote creator is like is like 
poking us with electrodes or something, you know? It's like, no, 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 we're torturing each, each other and we torture ourselves. Like, I think about how much I've tortured myself, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. ah, how many relationships I've just, like, walked into just, like, allowing someone to completely exploit me, you know? And I don't blame that person. I, like, they didn't have a gun in my head. I allowed yeah. myself to be exploited and I can – justify that a thousand ways but the truth is is that like well i kind of let i let i had it i watched it happen you know so it's the amount we torture ourselves is also really interesting not even compared to people torturing other people people torturing other people and that sadistic behavior is like not as interesting to me or maybe it's like harder to understand even than like the way we torture ourselves but yeah i mean the beauty pain the love the dualities, like, are they unavoidable? Uh-huh. Amazing. Oh, there's so many things I want to say. Okay, but this last one will be fun. Okay, so picture this. You've just been elected the first emperor of the planet, president of the planet, Tony Nagi, and you're coming out to <laughs> to deliver your your first your first talk, and the people want to hear, like, okay, is there an action plan? What are the things we need to focus on? How are we going to turn this shit around? And welcome to the stage, President Empress Tony Nagy. <laughs> I mean, the most fucked up thing I would say, I'm like, first thing I'm going to do is renounce my position of power. <laughs> uh, goodbye. You know? Ooh, ooh, we love you. And I'm, like, I'm sorry, it's over. And I think, you know, to me, um, hierarchy and like the... Even though, like, as a person who, like, kind of is, like, I mean, sometimes I'm, like, uh, I feel, like, when I'm with a bunch of hippies and stuff and we're all hanging out and, like, everyone has an opinion and I'm, like, oh, just do what I fucking say because I am correct. It'll be so much more efficient. Like, it takes so much patience to be part of a genuinely, like, anarchist, like, situation. But I do think that power is the most corrupting um psychic force on the planet and having power over others. And that's why I just really bristle about this idea of quote unquote empowering women because I have no interest in being part of a power paradigm in any sort of way. And I don't want to be empowered. I don't need to be empowered. Like that's fuck you and your power. Um, So I mean, like sadly, even though like Part of me is like, oh my God, I would have so many good ideas. Let's just let me be the empress of the world. Like a hundred percent. I resonate with like me doing that. <laughs> but I I would think philosophically that like anarchy and like true relinquishing of, of hierarchy and power is where we need to be heading because power is all corrupting, unfortunately. Even though I think I wouldn't be, I would be. Even though I really think I wouldn't be, I would be. Even though I still yeah, think yeah. I wouldn't be, <clears throat> sadly, I would be. <laughs> I hear you. I want to argue that because, like, I agree that power is, like, the most corrupting force and it is, like, but it – okay, it's the same thing with, like, any substance. So, like, chocolate can be super addictive. You can ruin your life with chocolate, but – it's easier to resist chocolate than like heroin, right? Heroin has a, like, it's way more dangerous and it's way more easily easy to be corrupted by it, but you could, somebody could still maybe resist it. You know, it's just like the, the challenge is just so high. So it's the same thing with power. I think it would just take like an insane amount of like, 
I don't know. I don't know, and nobody knows because I don't think anybody's really defeated it yet. But anyway, this is the concept of the philosopher king that you know Plato slash Socrates always talks about. Is the only person fit to be king is the philosopher because the philosopher is the only person who would refuse the role of being a king. So uh, that is kind of like the the paradox, right? Is like anybody who would want that power cannot be trusted, and anybody who could be trusted with the power would refuse to be a part of that power structure. So yeah. that's the fucking that's like that's why politics are so ultimately problematic is because those people want to be politicians. Yeah, yeah. And so you're just and even, you know, and then you know, we, I think we see it all the time where you think someone has this like really groovy agenda. And then they just kind of like, they just kind of like fall into the system. And then you're like, okay, because they become part of a community and the community of power has, is stronger than them. Mm. So yeah, I, I would love to think there would be like the ultimate benevolent soul, but I, I I do think it's the role. I think it's the role itself that is, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I'm open to being wrong, but that's kind of. That's why I'm like ultimately into anarchy. Yeah. Even though I find it really inefficient and I would get really irritated, you know? I'd be very irritated. I'd be very irritated in my anarchist utopia. I'd be like, ah. Yeah. Yeah, I hear <laughs> you know, I do think that like um, leaders make things more efficient and I love efficiency. So it's a, it's a conundrum. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it takes all kinds. Beautiful. Do you have uh, any final final things you'd like to say? Oh, I can't think of anything. Is there any? What about you? What about me? Yeah. Um, not really. I just I hope you have a really lovely day. I hope you have a really good day too. I really appreciate you having me on. I really appreciated we breathed together in the beginning. We set an intention. I thought that was really nice. It really reminds me of like – uh, just having that practice and putting out anything. Cause sometimes I'm like, like frantically putting something out before I, I rush through life a lot of a bit of a manic energy. So I like that you yeah, slow well, down. You're not the only one yeah. I'm experiencing a lot of call to slowness as is the rest of the world. Thanks to our new buddy, the crown, the crown virus. You know, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. That was, yeah, it slowed me down too. (laughs) But it also made me manic. I mean, a lot of things I think made me a little. It's a little. I'm intense. (laughs) I'm an intense person. You're perfect. Thank you. You're freaking amazing, and we're lucky to have you. We're lucky that you felt forced to get behind the camera because. yeah, the stuff you say is really beautiful and it's well, it's not always necessarily beautiful in the classic <laughs> sense. Sometimes it's a lot of gestures around your groin. Um but that's also beautiful. Groin, yeah, what a great word. I I don't use the word groin enough. I'm gonna have to bring that into groin. the repertoire. Yeah, do it. Yeah. There's a lot of good words related to the body's cavities. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Anyways, um, where uh where can people find you where can they see your stuff are you doing live stuff i am i'm doing live shows um in the new england area this fall and you can find me on instagram at tony naj 
T-O-N-I-N-A-G-Y, same on TikTok, but T-O-N-I dot N-A-G-Y. And then I'm also on Facebook. I mean, I'm on all those um, social media things. Yeah, and you're killing it. I try. The world is really lucky to have you. Your messages are beautiful, and I'm sure lots of people are getting inspired because I'm hearing from people that they're inspired. So thank you. Oh, that means so much to me. I will let those words wash over my psyche, spirit, and soul and heart today. Thank you. Oh, well, you're amazing. People, check out Tony Naj, not Nagy. Oh, I know. (laughs) It's it's a Hungarian name. It's confusing. (laughs) I'm very used to it. Yeah. Yeah, sweet. Okay, well, uh, bye, people. Bye. And that's a wrap. Yay! We did it. It's still recording, just in case you said anything incriminating at the end. Fart, fart, fart. <laughs> <laughs> Woo!